Today we have Brendan from Master Talk on. He is a public speaking mentor and he runs the Master Talk YouTube channel. You want to tell us a little bit about yourself, Brendan? Yeah, of course, Brian. Thanks for having me on. So, yeah, my name is Brendan. I'm the founder of Master Talk. It's a YouTube channel I started to help the world master the art of communication and public speaking. And how I got started, Brian, was when I was in uh, university, I used to do these things called case competitions. So think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So other guys my age were telling me to, you know, we're playing basketball or different sports. What I was doing is I applied that same competitive spirit and I applied it to competitions and more specifically presentations. So I presented hundreds of times, coached dozens of people. Then when I got into the corporate world, I asked myself the simple question, which was, how do I make a difference in the world? And I just realized a lot of the communication information out there was pretty bad. So I started making videos in my mother's basement. One thing led to another, and here we are today. That's really awesome. <laughs> Thanks, man. Am I pronouncing your name correctly? It's Bryant, right? Yes, that's correct. Okay. So how do you become involved in these competitions? It's not too normal that you hear about people being involved in speaking competitions. Yeah, it was definitely a bizarre environment, so I'm happy to give some context. So similar to hackathons, let's say in the computer science world, or a sports competition at a local university. Business competitions, otherwise known as cases, are situations where an executive of a company, let's say we're talking to the CEO of McDonald's, says, you know, Bryant and Brendan, I need you two to do a presentation to help me figure out how do we get these healthy people back into McDonald's? They keep eating salads and doing meditation. We got to get these people back uh, back into our company and eating burgers and fries and different things. So what kind of different products can we offer to get these people back in? That's an example of a business problem. So me and you would spend the next couple of hours figuring out a solution, making a bunch of slides, practicing. And at the end of the three hours, we have to present our solution back to the actual executives of the company. That's what a competition in business looks like. It's pretty intense. And the reason why most people do that in our in our world is to get the best jobs out of university. But for me, these competitions turned quickly from just getting a job to being an obsession. You know, I'm heavily regarded as the Michael Jordan that nobody gives a shit about in the sense of I was very obsessed with something that very few people pay attention to. That's a good way of kind of describing who I am. So with these competitions, all of them, do you have to prepare or are some of them just off, off the bat, you're given a topic? Yeah, yeah. So, so essentially what happens is, okay, so let us let me kind of make this more concrete. So me and you, we enter this room together. We're on the same team. Okay, and we don't know what the company is. We don't know what the problem is. And then a volunteer throws cases at us. So 20-page documents, and then the timer starts. So then we open the first page. We know what the company is and what the problem is. We start reading through all of the documents. That probably takes 30 minutes. So we have three hours to prepare, right? So 30 minutes is already gone just reading everything. So then we have a discussion, which is essentially us yelling at each other because time is running out pretty quickly. And then I go, okay, Brian, what do you think? And then you go, Brendan, what do you think? We come, we come up with the solution. And then after I go, okay, Brian, start making slides and I'll start writing stuff on a piece of paper. And then we start, we start getting to work. We start putting our slides together. Then the third person on the team, let's call her Julia, starts making financial statements, starts doing numbers. And so it's a very high intense environment where we're trying to solve this business's problem in as little as three hours sometimes. There's bigger competitions in the world or, and around the world where you know you can have a day to crack the entire thing. So you spend 24 hours working on the problem. 
and then on and on you try and figure out the best solution is and it's from that experience that you then go on uh, to get it right so so the idea is uh, case competitions are very bizarre very uh, high intensity sports but for nerds <laughs> it's kind of a good way of describing it. does that make more sense yeah that makes a lot of sense so let's get some questions in there um, what is more important, the content or the delivery? Right. So this is the kind of the debate that's been going on for centuries. So let me let me put a close on this. I want you to imagine, Bryant and everyone who's listening, to your favorite speakers, or rather, your high school teachers. How much information do you actually remember from high school, if I asked you? Not much. Not much. So why is that, Bryant? The content's really good. I mean, the people who are giving us lectures aren't uneducated. They have master's degrees, bachelor's degrees, sometimes even PhDs. So why is it that we remember almost nothing? But the punchline Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, please. I'm just going to say I wasn't invested or entertained. Oh, absolutely. You know, there was very little investment, very little entertainment. I completely agree with you. Now let's think about the opposite case. Think about the best speakers that you know on the planet. Let's say we take a Tony Robbins or somebody that speaks to you personally. What's one or two lessons or the takeaways that you got from that individual? Well, I'd come out trying to be a better person with goals in mind. Mm, that's great. I, I love these answers. These are very common, Brian. So so what you're saying essentially, just to translate for the group here, is even the best speakers in the world, we barely remember any of their presentation. We remember one or two key ideas. And for those who take notes, they'll remember a lot more. But for most of us who are really just paying attention to what the person is saying, we're mostly going to remember one or two ideas. So where does it lead us to the conclusion? It leads us to the following. Even if you're a world-class communicator, chances are people will only remember one idea anyways. So the question is not to focus your time on content, but rather how to deliver that content in such a riveting way that they actually remember something. So how would you go about delivering that content to embed that one key part of it? Right, so the first part of it which is simple but not easy in the sense of what is that key idea that you want to defend. Every presentation starts with that one idea. And the challenge with most people is we don't know what that idea is. So here's a question you can ask yourself to figure out. The question is simple. If it was your last presentation ever, and after you presented it was game over, what would you do in that moment? What would you present? What would you talk about? And you could take as much time as you want, five minutes, five hours, it's up to you. But unfortunately, your audience won't remember you, your ideas, or even your content, but they'll remember one sentence. What do you want the sentence to be? That is what we call the one key idea, the one key insight that will allow us to figure out the rest. That is the hardest part of your presentation, Bryant. When you figured that out, now the next part is simple, which is how do you defend that idea? And every idea is going to be different, and the way that you defend every idea is also going to be different. But if you take me as an example, my key idea is simple. It's to convince you that you can master communication. Because if I convince you, you'll watch my videos, you'll listen to more podcasts, you'll read more books, you'll figure it out. 
But if I don't convince you, then I don't achieve my outcome. And then based on that, I have to ask myself, what is the best way of defending it? I've always found that talking about my own insecurities as a speaker helps a lot. You know, I started coaching executives when I was 23. I started mass talk when I was 22. I mean, who in the world am I to start making YouTube videos on communication without uh, even a bachelor's in communication? But on the same note, most of the presentations I've given in my life, Brian, are to a language I didn't even know. You know, I grew up in a city called Montreal where I went to French school. So I always had to present in a language I didn't know. So the message I always share with people is if I can do it, so can you. So for you, you need to always ask yourself, what is your key idea and what is the best way based on your talents and aptitudes, the best way of defending that message? When you get on a stage and you have stage fright, how do you combat that? How do you get over it? Yeah, the way that I think about this is the fear never goes away, right? Like I'm still scared when I go up there and I give presentations. But the difference is my fear always loses to my message. So let's say that fear was on one side of the boxing ring, let's say it was a boxing match, and your message was on the other. Fear is always going to be in the ring, but you need to make sure that you always get the knockout punch. You have to always make sure that the message wins the battle every single time. Was I scared when those executives were kind of co- trying to contradict me, trying to give me different ways of thinking? Yeah, absolutely. But the belief system, the message that I had to share with people, which is teaching the world how to speak, especially those who can't afford me, was so important to me that the fear always loses. And if you believe in something so strongly, it's a lot easier for you to fight against the fear. That's why the question I always ask people, and it's not an easy one, but it'll help you is the following. Who suffers from your inability to take action? Every day that you wake up and you decide not to do the thing, not to start the podcast, not to start the YouTube channel, not to share that cupcake recipe that you've been meaning to share to those three people that keep asking you for it. What happens? Who suffers? And the clearer you are about that person, the easier it is to beat the fear. How do you overcome the physical aspects of that with the ums and the lake ticking and fast speaking? Yeah, for sure. So so for that, that's more of a tactical thing where it's it's one at a time, right? You can't just overcome everything overnight. So the way that I think about it is let's focus on filler words because that's actually not that hard to get rid of once we understand the logic. So where do we say filler words, Bryant? The reason we say filler words is to buy us time. So you're, you ask me a question, I go, uh, uh, well, uh, I'm not sure. And then I buy time so I can answer the question. This is what we do su- subconsciously. But the way that we overcome this, or what the great speakers do, is the same time that they buy to answer a question or to respond, they use this pause. Nothing. Absolutely Nothing. That's the secret, is we need to replace our ums and ahs with silences, which means we need to get very comfortable pausing for extremely long periods of time. That's why my one exercise for the group that's not easy but adds a lot of value is go up to somebody that you love in your house, if you live with anybody, and just stare at them for three minutes. You can blink. It's totally fine. Just don't say anything and don't look anywhere else. It's very difficult. But if you can do that for three minutes, for five minutes... It's very easy for you to pause for three or five seconds in an actual presentation and say less filler words. So that's one part of it. The other part 
is the leg ticking. I call this sticking together. What I do essentially is I force people that I coach to stick their feet together. So every time they try leg ticking, I always look at them and I go stick together, stick together. So it's this mental trick to kind of force you to go, oh, I got to keep sticking my feet together. And then over time, uh, the leg tick eventually goes away. It's worked on every person I've I've done this with. And then after they, they naturally spread their legs into a position that's comfortable to them. So on that note with the eye contact, how do you develop good eye contact while speaking one-on-one versus to an audience without making it awkward? Yeah, for sure. I, I think the secret to long eye contact is definitely long stares. That You always want to do the harder exercise, Brian. So what I mean by that is if you're scared of looking at people in the eye for short periods of time, look people in the eye for long periods of time. Get used to it. If you're scared of looking people in the eyes at least once in a whole audience, start, you know, get a group of people and start staring at them and just focus on that. In my in my presentations, I do something really weird, which is a secret I like to share with people, is that the great speakers in the world can pause forever and never make it seem awkward. But obviously, we don't have forever. We have to take my word for it. But the idea is, Let's say I paused in a workshop for five minutes. I would actually stay there in silence for five minutes and just stare at people 30 seconds at a time, 15 seconds at a time, just to make them feel what I feel, but not make it seem awkward at all. And so it's a challenging, it's not easy, but it's definitely doable. I mean, when I started, I I had so much trouble looking people in the eyes. I was like, oh, why is everyone staring at me? But then over time, you get used to it and then uh, you're able to master that part too. So I've learned some tricks over the years about communication as far as keeping people interested. For instance, if you're in a webinar and people are losing interest, you could bring in a different person and the change of voice will bring them back into the video or pulling up a graph or a picture or something will bring them back in. Are there any other tips or tricks like this that you have yeah, I mean, those tricks are cool, and, and I, thanks for sharing that, Brian. I, I think the, the issue with engagement is a lot bigger than just a couple of tricks or telling a joke. I think the core issue is that most people don't present the same presentation enough times. So every time people ask me about engagement, I always respond with, well, well, Bob, how many times have you given this presentation? They always go like once. And I go, well, Tony Robbins has been doing the same seminar, like the exact same seminar for 40 years 40 years thousands and thousands and thousands of times it's not about he's not more engaging or less engaging he just knows his stuff inside and out so when you think about practice in a presentation brian you need to first think about okay this is the subject this is the topic i want to present that's repeatable So for you, which is simple, it would be your own podcast. Talk about your podcast to people. What are you trying to achieve with it? What are people aspiring to be? And then after, you repeat and repeat and repeat. So the first couple of times, and this is true with any presentation, you're mostly focused on the content. You're thinking to yourself, oh, crap. What do I need to say here? I'm not really sure. But after you present it 20 times, kind of just say, well, I know what my podcast is about. I know what I'm supposed to do it. I know why I'm doing it. I know who I'm doing it for. And then the questions that you ask yourself transition from the content in your pitch to, well, 
how do I deliver this thing? Are people even listening to me? Am I even conveying the emotions I want to convey? And the best way to figure out how to do that is to talk to your audience members one-on-one. There's so few speakers who don't have enough dinner conversations, lunch conversations, breakfast conversations with the seven people who actually are listening to what they have to say. They're not picking their brains enough because that's the way that you get insights that truly transform the way that people think about your ideas and subjects. So with one-on-one conversations with another person, let's just say the conversation dies out. What are some tricks to keep it going or to get it going again? Once again, I'm pretty big on religion rather than tactics. And I don't mean religion in the religious sense for those who are listening. I meant it just as an overall sense. For me, it's always about picking the right people to talk to. And what I mean by this is at the end of the day, in your life, let's say you live 50 more years. I hope you live much longer though, right? But let's, let's assume 50. Let's say every single day you meet one new person, which is very optimistic. Chances are you'll meet a lot less in the year. But let's just keep up the analogy. So I don't want to make this a math class or anything, but if you multiply 50 years by 300 people, which is, let's say, you know, in a year, give or take, that's 15,000. So the question, Brian, that you should always ask yourself and that people should be listening, asking themselves is not, oh, how do I get everyone to like me? How do I make every conversation pop and exciting? The better question to ask ourselves is who do we want those 15,000 people to be? Out of the sea of billions of people in the world, who do we want that group of people to be? Now your criteria changes a lot. And I'll be honest with you, Brian, even with all of the social skills I've accumulated in my life, there's a lot of people I just don't get along with, not because they're bad people, not because I'm a bad person. Our energies just don't connect. We just don't have the same interests. So I've learned throughout my journey that talking to purpose-driven, positive, people who are excited to be alive, or just the people that I have time for, because I don't have a lot of time to live, I guess, and none of us really do. So I would encourage people, and this is the lesson that I want people to learn from this, is if you have this obsession with collecting pens that nobody understands, you know, your friends are like, why do you collect pens? So weird. Instead of spending that couple hundred bucks on your Starbucks this year, I would recommend saving up a couple of bucks and going out to the biggest pen collecting conference in the world. I guarantee you, whether you're awkward or having trouble socializing, you'll meet some people there that you'll really connect with because they'll understand your obsession with pens as they do. What are some key ways to practice? Most people can't go to a competition for presenting. So what are some ways they could practice at home or on their own? Yep, absolutely. So I'll give you the easiest exercise in my book, which is called the puzzle method. So puzzle is very simple. What you essentially do is think of public speaking like a jigsaw puzzle. You know those puzzles you kind of do with your friends and family, those thousand piece things you put together? So if I asked you, Brian, if you were making a jigsaw puzzle, which pieces would you start with first and why? Probably the corner pieces. Perfect. And why would you start with the corners? They're the easiest to identify. Absolutely. That's what most people answer, and that would be correct. So whenever we do a puzzle, we always start with the corner pieces first. So the question we need to ask ourselves, Brian, is why don't we do that in public speaking? We have a presentation in two days, so what do we do? Whether it's at school or at work, we shove a bunch of content. In other words, we start with the middle, 
Then we get to the presentation. We get to the last slide of that presentation. And, well, we say this. Uh, yeah, so thanks. That's probably 97% of the presentations out there. So the easiest thing that people can do on their own or with a group, you can like take videos and send it to your friends, is do the, use the puzzle method. Start with the edges first. Do your introduction 50 times, not five times. Do it 50 times. It'll take you an hour. Well, actually, it won't take you that long. Do the same thing with the conclusion. What's a great movie with a terrible ending? A terrible movie, 50 times. In two hours of practice, you'll already be the best speaker that you can be this quickly you'll get results and then after with the confidence that you have then you go wow i can conquer anything and then you tackle the middle but much like puzzles why would you ever do a thousand piece puzzle alone that's so boring do it with your friends do it with your family practice with other people you don't need a speech coach for this you just need a community of people that want to support you and also want to improve as well is it better to listen or to talk in a conversation because I've met some interesting people who know how to listen and I've met some interesting people who know how to talk, but which one's better? Huh? I don't think there's a better, I think it's, it's really who you are. So, so think about me. I, I'll use myself as an example because it's an interesting question and I have a hard time using other people as an example here as I'm thinking about an answer. But, but the idea is the way I've interacted with people it really depends on who they are. So let's say in this type of conversation, you're more of an introverted style host. So because of that, you're, you're giving me a lot of space to talk. So that means, oh, I need to add a lot of value. This person wants me to keep going. Whereas the, the opposite is also true, Brian. Sometimes I get hosts and that are equally as good, by the way. It's not really a bad or good. It's more just different styles. They're very loud. You know, I would get on a call and they would say, Brendan, it's so great that you're here. We're so excited to have you. And I would and I would mirror that energy. I'd go, like, yeah. So so we would cut each other off a lot. We would interrupt each other. But it's it's a different energy in that uh, in that conversation. So I think the key is more about adapting your energy to the person you're speaking to. If you're speaking to someone who's very loud, I would suggest to try and mirror that as much as possible just to show your excitement so they feel that you understand them. But at the same time, if you're talking to someone who's a bit more introverted, like in the conversation we're having now, I'm actually trying to mirror my energy to you, right? So it's, it's just always about thinking about the situation that you're in. And then based on that, you do what authentically works the best for you. Did that answer the question? That was kind of like my yeah. best attempt at it. <laughs> that was a great answer. Right. Let's get to a business portion of it how does communication apply to business right so the analogy is pretty simple if you can't explain your business or your ideas in a sentence then you don't have a business in my opinion and you won't you're actually rather let me rephrase the chances of you succeeding is going to diminish why do i believe that because every day is communication you're not just presenting to a board or selling your product you're convincing employees to join your company they have really good jobs. They're really talented people. Those are generally people you want in your company. Why would they want to work for you? If you don't have an amazing, compelling vision, you can't explain that vision in a clear, concise way. Well, no one's going to come and stand in line to work for the company. Same thing with the investors. A lot of people won't understand your business as much as you do. You're the one who has all the experience, so you need to disseminate it. You need to simplify it in a way that people are drawn 
to what you do. That's true with customers, that's true with employees, that's true with co-founders, that's true with every single thing about business. So communication is everything. So in the business realm of communication, most of them are different events you go to and you listen to a speaker. How have you found this? How has it been affected by COVID? You mean the speaking business? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking business, yeah, it wasn't too fun when I woke up to uh, all my events being canceled in March. It wasn't. Uh, so yeah, did I cry for a couple of days? Absolutely. But the way that I pivoted, and a lot of speakers in my industry have as well, is we we started we started opening coaching practices. We started guesting on shows. We started to reinvent the way that we speak. But to make this more concrete, we had to give more virtual presentations. And the big difference between the virtual world and the in-person one is that the virtual world, you cannot gauge your audience's reaction. So let's say in this conversation right here that we're having, Brian, I don't really know how you're responding to me. You either like me, you don't like me, because we're not on video, right? So I can't really see. But even if we were on video, I still wouldn't be able to gauge your reaction because I would always be looking at the camera lens and not directly at you. So this happens at scale in the online world. Because if you're having, if you're doing a webinar to 20 people or 25 different people, and they're all on little screens, and you tell a joke, you actually don't know if it's funny or not. You have to assume it is, and that's definitely the challenge. The online world is harder, but it brings more rewards because if you can present really well online, when you go back in person, you'll be amazing. That's great. Do you have a favorite business book? Yeah, of course. The book I always like to recommend is a book called Thirst by Scott Harrison. So Scott is the CEO of Charity Water. He's probably one of the smartest guys I've I've had the chance of of reading about and learning more about. And I think the the beauty of Scott from a business standpoint is his ability to tell stories, use marketing and branding to build such a powerful brand that he has with Charity Water, which is a nonprofit organization. But he's done it with a nonprofit budget. He's been able to, to bring about huge changes in messaging, and he's been able to raise hundreds of millions of dollars for this cause. I just think he's, he's one of the smartest guys out there. And I think from a business perspective, it's always great to learn from somebody who has less resources to work with than you and does more than you. That's usually the best way to learn. So I highly recommend his book. How did you learn how to communicate? What resources did you use? You know, that's the funny thing, Brian, uh, I never really had any resources. I never did Toastmasters, any of that stuff, even if I highly recommend Toastmasters for those who are listening. But the for me, what happened was I had a group of friends that were in this competition program that was very niche and bizarre that all wanted to be incredible speakers. So that was my resource, essentially. It was learning from them. And then as I got older and more experienced in the program and I became a, a mentor for the new kids on the block, I started teaching them and coaching them. And that's how I was able to gain all the knowledge that I have today. If you had to restart, what would you do? What, would you even be in the same industry? Yeah, you know, that's always a tough question. I would say uh, in, in many ways, I got lucky that I found my life's purpose very early in life. But yeah, I wouldn't, I would, I would, I wouldn't change anything. And the reason I wouldn't is because every event that I made in my life led to master talk. If I never made the decision to be an accountant. It never would have led to the decision to go to business school, which means I never would have built the friendships I have today. And I never would have became a technology consultant. And I never would have been able to get the skills required to be that consultant, which means being an exceptional communicator. 
which means I never it never would have led to master talk. So definitely grateful, and I wouldn't restart a thing. That's awesome. You want to wrap this up? Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, thanks for coming on. I definitely enjoyed it. I hope the listeners enjoyed it as much as I did. I learned a lot. Please check out all of Brendan's YouTube videos. Do you have a website? Yeah, for sure. So people can check out Master Talk in one word. That's the best way to check out the YouTube channel. And you can find my Instagram handle there too if you want to send me a message. Sweet. Thanks for coming. Thanks, brother.